0: we're transcending time and space together in a most wonderful way, and our topic today is uh, comes as a request, and uh, I sent out a survey. I asked people for what topics would they like to hear, and uh, despair was one of the topics so You who requested it, you know who you are, this is for you. Rising Up from Despair is uh, the title of our episode today, and let's see what the Holy Spirit has for us. So grateful to join together. We begin, as always, with a prayer. So grateful to join with a prayer. Taking that breath of love and gratitude, I place my hand on my heart. I am grateful and thankful that the love of God is all there is. The love of God is shining in our heart, in our mind, in our life. We are grateful and thankful to consciously know that the love of God is all that there is. One life, one power, one presence. So grateful, so thankful to say yes to the presence of love shining in our awareness. We're opening ourselves to a divine partnership with the higher Holy Spirit self. We are saying yes to the Holy Spirit's guidance. We are saying yes to true forgiveness. We're letting go of the meaning we made of things. We're letting go of everything that seems to bring our vibration down whether it's known or unknown, recognized or unrecognized. We're grateful and thankful to let it go. In gratitude, we share the benefits with everyone. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Mm. Yes. Yes. You know, ah, such wisdom in A Course in Miracles and all the wisdom in the world cannot help us if we aren't willing to apply it. One of the things that used to happen to me frequently is I'd have these wonderful ah ahas, just wonderful ah ahas, and I would find that I wouldn't hold on to them. And then that would be a cause of some despair. Why can't I hold on to my ah ahas? What's up with that? And I'm grateful now to be aware that it really was about my willingness that I would have that momentary insight and there would be that choice, that opportunity to be willing. Of course, Miracle's always talking about recognizing the choice that's before us, that we are choosing frequently, choosing, 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 what it is we'd like and what it is we don't like. And so recognizing all the choice points is how we change our life. That's how we do it, is inviting the Holy Spirit to share with us the awareness of the choice points. Because we've got these old resentments and regrets, the guilt, the blame, the shame, all the things that we've done or not done in the past for which we feel guilty about ashamed of and all of that blocks our ability to clearly recognize the opportunities to choose love and yet they're still there the more willing we are even if we have so many blocks if we're really really willing we'll see those choices for love and that choice for love undoes the blocks known and unknown it's Amazing Course of Miracles tells us very clearly that we can't do the healing it can be done for us, but we don't even have to think about how to do it, when to do it, why to do it, where to do it. It will be done for us if we're willing and so we can cultivate that great willingness now, in the text. There is uh, a section, it's in uh, Chapter 9, and it's Section 6, entitled The Acceptance of Your Brother. No, I'm sorry. Section 7, The Two Evaluations. Section 7. No, again, I err. Goodness gracious. What's happening? It's Section 8. <laughs> Here it is. Grandeur versus grandiosity. A right? Course in Miracles is uh, frequently prompting us to accept our grandeur, our magnificence, our wholeness, our freedom, our beauty. Grandeur versus grandiosity. So grandeur is our God nature. It's God's nature in us, the grandeur of God. And grandiosity, no surprise, of course, is of the ego, and we get to decide which we will choose, grandeur or grandiosity. Now, in that section 8 of chapter 9, paragraph 2, it says, Grandiosity is always a cover for despair. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you have despair, you have grandiosity. But this really feels worth looking at to me here. So follow, follow with me, if you will. Grandiosity is always a cover for despair. Let's think of someone we, who maybe in your life that you feel is grandiose. Or behaves in a grandiose way. Right? So, w- what does that mean? They're looking for, uh, attention. They're looking for specialness. Uh, they often believe that bigger is better. And, um, It's considered, well, in the dictionary it talks about uh, grandiosity as being absurd exaggeration, absurd exaggeration. So you can think of one of the common ways that people use that word um, grandiose, uh, which, of course, related to grandiosity. (laughs) Grandiose claims as one frequent way that we hear the word um, grandiose used, grandiose claims, absurd claims. Uh, So grandiosity, uh, we can look at it as being absurd behavior. And it's absurd by exaggeration, right? It's so big. Uh, Now, grandeur, on the other hand, is magnificence. It's another word for magnificence. It is, we can think of grandeur, we can think of the grandeur of the, uh, well, what comes to me first is the Purple Mountain's Majesty, the, the Grand Canyon, the, um, I think of mountain ranges, and they have such a grandeur quality to them. They're grand. Uh, I think of um, beautiful, uh, spectacular monuments like the Taj Mahal it has a sense of a sense of grandeur to it, uh, but grandiosity is the opposite. Right? See, it's, it's that absurd, giant gesture that's an exaggeration. It's often false, it's covering something up. So what are we going to choose, grandeur or grandiosity? Grandiosity is always a cover for despair. So let's think of somebody who seems to give, let's say, um, expression to grandiosity. Their life seems to contain grandiose gestures, and activities that feel grandiose so they feel exaggerated empty just for show false think see if you can think of someone in your life who behaves in that way now consider grandiosity is always a cover for despair if you knew that all of that grandiose verbiage, behavior, display, and show was a cover for despair. Maybe the bigger it is, the deeper the despair. Would you still make fun of them? Would you still think less of them? Or would you be willing to hold out a hand to them and say, despair not, my friend. All as well. There is a perfection, there is a wholeness, there is a beauty. It is unchangeable and it's ours and it's ours right now. We do not have to reach for it. We do not have to struggle for it. Joining with someone who feels that they're in despair is really helpful. Really helpful. I've done it so many times. I've had so many counseling sessions with someone who felt a deep despair or just a prayer with someone who felt a deep despair. It's one of the reasons why I created my daily prayer offering, the daily spiritual espresso that goes out that contains the link to the prayer or the link to the phone line where you can call and listen to the prayer Any time of day. And all these prayers are also in a podcast. You can sign up for the podcast. So at any moment, you could search in that podcast for whatever you'd like prayer about. Peace, harmony, joy, freedom, wisdom, clarity, healing, whatever it might be. You can just flip through or search through using a keyword. It can change how you feel in an instant. That's what a revelation, a, re- a realization, uh, an awareness, an aha moment can do. And we can decide to hold on to them. We can decide to nurture them. We can stop and pause and invest some energy in holding on to that aha I think one of the most important things for us is when we see people who are acting in a grandiose way, we can recognize that it is a cover for despair and extend love and compassion to them, mentally say to them, all is well, all is well, despair is not real, all is well. says goes on to say grandiosity is without hope because it's not real. Not real. It is an attempt to counteract your littleness based on the belief that the littleness is real. Our littleness feelings. I I do a lot of work, as you probably know, with the theme of playing small, because it's there are so many light workers in this world who are playing small. They are not cultivating an awareness of their inner grandeur and magnificence. And so they're feeling that it's best to play small. Maybe they're not acting fully in integrity. So unwittingly they're playing small. So they don't affect many people with their challenges with integrity. I used to worry so much about integrity and keeping track of my own integrity, other people's integrity, judging, 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 integrity of others and myself. And I would talk about it with my friends, about people's lack of integrity. And then one time, I was falsely accused of a lack of integrity. And I saw the energy of that. And I said, I don't need to talk about anybody's integrity anymore. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you for showing that to me. So I don't I don't talk about people's integrity anymore. I look at my own. I have a very strong intention to be honoring and loving and respectful all the time. I don't meet the mark all the time, and I don't hide that, and I aspire to be absolutely 100% consistent. I do. And that is my joy to Every day, aspire to be lovingly consistent. So the littleness isn't real. We feel little when we attack others. We feel little when we attack ourselves. And we think that littleness is real because we think the attacks are real. But they're not. There is no littleness in God doesn't even make sense. You know, see that that's where the the truth of God is so helpful, so so very helpful that we can recognize that hmm, what's true is true always and forever. Otherwise it's not truth that truth like God itself is eternal, it's infinite, it's constant, it's unchanging. So it's one of the core tenets of A Course in Miracles because it is one of the fundamental truths about God. God is changeless. Seek not to change the world, but to change your mind about the world because the world is ever-changing. It's an illusion. Spirit is never-changing. It's real. So, the cover for despair that is grandiosity is an attempt to counteract your littleness. If you think of the person who behaves in a grandiose way, yes, there's a deep despair because there's a belief in littleness that's being covered up by grandiose claims, by grandiose... Uh, activities and words, you know. I am um, thinking, you know I'm the best at everything and and making statements all the time about how great I am. That's grandiosity. Uh, those who are truly great have humility, and they can acknowledge their magnificence, right? I I would hope that the Dalai Lama would acknowledge his magnificence because he doesn't see it as unique to him. All are magnificent, and we can all recognize each other's magnificence and our own. The grandeur of God is omnipresent. Everything about God that's true is true everywhere all the time. Because that's the nature of God, omnipresent. There's no more God in one place and less God in another. I used to say that to myself all the time. There's no more love in one place and less in another. There's no more possibility for love in one place and less in another. There's no uh, more perfection or wholeness in one place than another. What will I accept with my mind? Will I see what's truly there? Will I see the great rays, as of course miracles talk about them? Or will I see something I made up, some projection? So it says that the belief in littleness, that the littleness is real, this is the cause for this deep despair. Without this belief in littleness, grandiosity is meaningless. And you could not possibly want it. So clear. The essence of grandiosity is competitiveness because it always involves attack. Mm. So the essence of grandiosity is competitiveness because it always involves attack. So therein lies the falseness. It is a delusional attempt to outdo, but not to undo, right? So by being uh, practitioners of A Course in Miracles, living A Course in Miracles, we're undoing, not outdoing. (laughs) I, I I love the language of the Course. He says, we said before, the ego vacillates between suspiciousness and viciousness. It remains suspicious as long as you despair of yourself. It shifts to viciousness when you decide not to tolerate self abasement and seek relief. Then it offers you the illusion of attack as a solution. So when people get tired of the despair and the feeling like a victim, then. People move into attacking others instead of themselves. They no longer can tolerate the attack on themselves. And so they seek relief through attack of others. And what that does, I know from personal experience, is it brings far more despair. Because I used to have so much despair around... self-hatred for all the mean things I said and did. I had so much self-hatred for the mean things I said and did. And it took me a long time to realize, for instance, that with my mother and my relationship with my mother, one of the things that bothered me so much, but I didn't understand it, I really didn't understand it was I was so mad at her for letting me be mean to her. I didn't do it a lot, and I didn't do it all the time, but I was so often angry with her, and I didn't understand that why I was angry with her was because she didn't require me to treat her with absolute love and admiration and kindness that she allowed me to treat her with disrespect. Any amount of disrespect that she would tolerate would make me feel angry. Why was I so angry? Well, underneath anger, which uh, I always discuss, anger is a symptom. It's not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. Uh, like a cough is a symptom of an irritant in the lungs. I was angry because I was afraid. Why was I afraid? Again, another symptom. The feeling of fear is a symptom. The cause, the cause was my own guilt. And I projected it out onto her. I was afraid that she would continue to let me be disrespectful to her, thereby increasing my negative karma and hers. Because when we disrespect people, of course, we're going to have an effect, cause and effect, always operating, never takes a holiday. So when I treat someone badly, I'm going to feel the effect of it. I don't know what that effect might be. It could be any number of things, depending on how I'm holding it and processing it. The fear was also around that she, by allowing it, and allowing me to have negative to, to create that negative karma for myself, that was also creating negative karma for her. When we provoke people in any way, shape, or form, we're creating negative karma for ourselves. When we allow ourselves to be provoked, we let others provoke us without interrupting that pattern gently, kindly. Sometimes not so gently, but with compassion, without judgment which we can learn to do, to say, no, you don't get to speak to me that way. I get that something's really bothering you. I love you. I appreciate you. Your feelings are important to me. But I cannot enable you to speak unkindly to me. It won't be good for our relationship. It won't be good for our lives. It won't be good for us. So something's really bothering you. tell me how you feel, but not with unkindness, not with attack. And I've learned that sometimes I can share attack thoughts and say, "I'm having these attack thoughts, and I don't like it. I wonder if you can help me by talking about it with me." That actually can work. We can actually shift and change our relationships. I'm getting ready to do the relationship classes and master. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Welcome back. Welcome back. Despair be gone. That's what I like to say, things like that. Despair be gone. Holy Spirit, take this despair out of my mind so I never think it again. I'm no longer interested in falling into despair. The hopelessness is not it's not for me. I'm done with it. yes, I used to have uh, a lot of despair, and as I was saying before the break, I didn't understand that, like with I was sharing about the situation with my mom where I would, as I became a teenager and into my 20s and even into my 30s and even into my 40s, I would say unkind things, sarcastic things, or um, miss the opportunities to be loving. And she would tolerate it out of compassion. And I've done so much of that, too, with others, but not as much as she and um One of the things that with my grandmother, she could be really cutting and I'd say, no, you don't get to talk to me that way. No. And she developed a real respect for me, but she would say the most unkind things to my mom at times and my mom would tolerate it and. I understand that it's a mix of things for some people that can't stand the confrontation. I understand that. I do. I don't like to be confrontational, although I used to be highly confrontational because I thought it was the only tool that I had. Um, and so I did have a great despair that would take over because I thought I feel hopeless. I'm not, I don't know how to stop myself from being unkind. I don't know how to stop myself from lashing out. And it was the cause of my despair. Why, why, why do I have to be so unkind? Why can't I just be loving? Why, why, why? And That has disappeared. I don't have that at all anymore. But it used to overtake me, like uh, something grabbing me by the foot and pulling me under the water. That's how the despair felt. So, it, this, this, like grandiosity. It says here in the core course, the essence of grandiosity is competitive because it always involves attack. So attack is part of the grandiosity. Attack is part of the despair too. It says here that we see the illusion of attack as a solution. Of course it's not a solution. Me attacking my mother was no solution, none whatsoever. just remembering things and how intense it felt for me. I'm so glad to be able to let that go. Let my people go, I say. <laughs> um, I also would like to share in the workbook lessons. So in lesson 138, Um. Let's see. It starts, so lesson 138 is heaven is the decision I must make. And it begins, in this world, heaven is a choice, because here we believe there are alternatives to choose between. Right? Heaven and hell. In this world, heaven is a choice because here we believe there are alternatives to choose between. We think that all things have an opposite and what we want, we choose. If heaven exists, there must be a hell as well. For contradiction is the way we make what we perceive and what we think is real. So we project this idea of hell. So we made up a hell. That there has to this is the world of duality, the world of opposites. So if heaven exists, there must be a hell as well. There was no hell, so we made one. Many are living it. Okay. It goes on to say, creation knows no opposite. So there is no opposite of heaven. But if you make one up, you can threaten people with hell. Oh yeah, that works really well. (laughs) So Uh, In this lesson, 138, Heaven is the Decision I Must Make. So important, that power of decision. When we go down to paragraph 6, it says, Here is the final and only choice in which truth is accepted or denied. This decision here. It says, so we begin today considering the choice that time was made to help us make. Time was made to help us make a choice, apparently. Did you know that? We made time to help us make a choice. The choice for love, of course. The choice for heaven. So that's that's what time is for. It says, such is its holy purpose. Such is the holy purpose of time to help us make a choice for love. So it says, such is its holy purpose now transformed from the intent you gave it. So the intention we gave the purpose of time was separation. But God means all things for good. So for love. It says, I'm going to go back to the beginning of this paragraph 7 here in Lesson 138. So we begin today considering the choice that time was made to help us make. Such is its holy purpose, now transformed from the intent you gave it. That it be a means for demonstrating hell is real. Hope changes to despair. The life itself must, in the end, be overcome by death. In death alone are opposites resolved, for ending opposition is to die, and thus salvation must be seen as death. For life is seen as conflict. To resolve the conflict is to end your life as well. So we see that the only way out of the hell and the conflict is death. There is a cause for despair. There's a cause for despair, hopelessness, that the only way out of the hell is death, but it's not true. And that's why it's so upsetting. So when we're in despair, this need not be. It's because of our perspective. Pain is a wrong perspective. It it goes on to say, These mad beliefs can gain unconscious hold of great intensity and grip the mind with terror and anxiety so strong that it will not relinquish its ideas about its own protection. Right? So these mad beliefs, right, the mad idea that we forgot to laugh at, Grips our mind with such intensity, with terror, anxiety, and despair so strong that the mind will not relinquish its own ideas about its own protection. Right? It's all about protection. It must be saved from salvation. The mind must be saved from salvation now, threatened to be safe and magically armored against the truth. The truth. Is the enemy when we're in this terror, anxiety, and strong truth. Uh, Truth is the actual enemy to the ego. Of course it is, because it's the undoing. And these decisions are made unaware. In other words, we don't even know we're making these decisions. It's how the ego keeps them safely undisturbed, apart from question and from reason and from doubt. So this is why I say awareness is curative. Awareness is healing. Cultivating a willingness to be aware of how we feel, aware of what we're thinking. We, When we're aware of what we're thinking, then there's the possibility of making that choice and choosing another thought. the The workbook goes on here. In paragraph 9, to say, Heaven is chosen consciously. The choice cannot be made until alternatives are accurate accurately seen and understood. All that is veiled in shadows must be raised to understanding to be judged again, this time with Heaven's help. And all mistakes in judgment that the mind had made before are open to correction, and the truth dismisses them as causeless, right? This is why the truth sets us free. When you place the truth next to that which is false, that which is false has no power. We'll see it. So, now, when I read this, Again, here that the mind must be saved from salvation, threatened to be safe and magically armoured against truth, and there are and these decisions are made unaware. We don't know that we're making them. Then there's despair. Again, hello, darkness, my old friend. Come to talk with me again, right? So uh, that that song so beautifully talks about the sound of silence, right? And there's an opportunity that's always available to us. We do not have to go it alone. If we know we're not alone, we're not going to move into despair and hopelessness. Part of that despair and hopelessness, I find, is that people feel they're on their own. There is no hope. This is why, as I was saying at the beginning of this episode, that joining with others is so powerful. It's so healing. I'll never forget that once someone called me and said, Jennifer, I don't remember how they got my number, but somehow they got my number and they said maybe they listened to my study group calls, I don't know. It was a long time ago, a dozen years ago or more, and they said, Jennifer, I I feel so lost. I I'm thinking of killing myself before my child comes home from school. And I didn't know what to do. It's so strong. And I knew about you, but I've never talked with you. And I've got your number, and I just thought I'll call you, see if you can help me. Thank God I answered the phone. Thank God. Of course, as God would have it, it was all arranged perfectly. And so I said, I know exactly what to do. I'm going to send you by email right now the format for my self-forgiveness letter. Write a self-forgiveness letter to yourself and call me back. I'll be waiting for your call. She did. And when she called back a couple hours later, of course I prayed. I prayed to know the truth, that there was no reason for her to kill herself, that all could be resolved and healed, that perfection was being revealed. Otherwise, why would she be calling me if she didn't have willingness? People who don't have willingness don't even know who I am. I would not be on their radar. I really know that to be true, that when people are interested in doing the actual healing work, that's when they come find me. Until then, uh, they need to activate their willingness, because everything I offer is for people who have some willingness, because I offer people things that they can actually do and participate in, and share, and accomplish, and that's how the mind is transformed. So partnering up with the Holy Spirit is a doing. It is. It's a doing. It's a being, too, but it's a doing. We have to make that decision to partner up with the Holy Spirit and to stop going it alone. So grateful that I could answer that phone and be helpful to that person. Let us not allow people, let us not allow ourselves to move into despair. I invite you to think of somebody in your life who goes into despair. Join with them. Let them feel your loving presence. You don't have to do it for them, right? We're not talking about codependency here. But encourage them. Let them know they're not alone. I have found so many people in my life have had amazing, miraculous healing Because they let go of shame. And they let go of the shame because they joined with others. Right now, for the last month or so, I've been having one-on-one conversations with the beautiful people who are in Masterful Living with me. And they're telling me about their experiences. Some are having amazing, miraculous healing in their relationships, in their physical body in their finances, in their work, in their ability to be self-loving. Extraordinary healing is taking place. Some are having more than others. Some are having less than others. But so much of it comes from joining together, being willing to be transparent With some other people and say, This is how I've been feeling. This is what I've been thinking. And that the other people in the group can listen and say, I get that. I understand that. I'm glad you shared that. We don't have to solve other people's seeming problems. We all have the same problem. We don't have to solve it for anyone else. Seek not to change the world, but to be truly helpful by changing your mind about the world. Being truly helpful is is reaching out to someone and saying, hey, I really care about how you are. Without any expectation from them. Just loving them. Just sharing. Just being a presence that knows in your mind, it's going to go. Okay, it's going to work out. Why? We can say, you know, others, that movie. The Something Marigold Hotel. And it's a fun movie. I recommend it. I love those movies. I love the cast of actors in there, in those movies. And the young man has this hotel that he's uh, <laughs> he's refurbishing this building and it's a bit of a mess and And people are like this is a disaster and he says it's all going to work out in the end and how you know it's not the end is it's not all worked out yet and that is the teaching of A Course in Miracles it's all coming, we're all turning to heaven in our mind and None will be left behind. All are included. And this we know. So, heaven is at hand. There's a song that uh, I used to sing with the Agape Choir um, that I loved so much. I loved, uh, it's called City of God. And I love to, and you can find a, a video of it on YouTube, I'm sure. City of God, Agape International Choir. And uh, I love, my favorite thing was to see Ricky Byers and Leon Campbell sing it together as a duet. And uh, she would do parts and he would do parts. And um, there was a line, I love to hear either of them sing the line where, um, Says, um, God is there for you even when you don't believe. And it would just make me cry because I knew it to be true. And I was so grateful that it was true. God is there for us, even if we don't believe, even if we have doubt, even if we've been mean, even if we have been mean to ourselves and others, even if we feel angry and hurt, even if we feel broken, God is there for us. I remember one time, too, I was substituting for someone, uh, and uh, in in the group, there was a trainee uh, facilitator, and uh, I was substituting for the lead facilitator. And so I said to the trainee, this is this is your opportunity to be the lead facilitator. I'm going to step back, and you lead the session. So, um, uh, in this group, uh, someone shared that They were feeling grateful because they felt so broken, but they just admitted it. I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm not going to fight it anymore. It's the truth. I'm broken. And they said, I felt such a relief just to accept it. And everybody in the group was nodding their heads. Oh, yeah, I get that. Oh, yeah. What a breakthrough. I'm happy for your breakthrough. I'm glad you feel better. Now you know you're broken. And and the trainee assistant was like, yeah. Oh, thank you for your share. And when it came time for me to share, I said, I have to say nobody in this group is broken. But I get that you feel broken. I get that. I have felt broken. I totally understand that. I can relate to that. But the truth is, you're not broken. You never will be broken. God is unbreakable. You can feel hurt. You can feel damaged. You can feel used and abused. You can feel hopeless. All of these things we can feel. That's why we're here. To have all this gamut of experiences, the humanity of it—you watch the movie *City of Angels*, right? That uh, the the angels in that movie—not that it's a true story—but <laughs> they're envious of our ability to have the human experience and feel the emotions, feel the the, the hardships and the pleasures, all that experience that we're having in our experience of separation. But no matter how broken we feel, how decimated and how despairing we feel, it's not our true nature. It's not our true identity. And we can choose again. And how we get there is through that partnership. Don't go it alone. We don't ever need to go it alone. No more aloneness. No more, no more, no more. It's not true. It's not true, it never will be true, and so we can leave it behind. We can let it go. Only the truth is true, and the truth is our nature is perfect wholeness. It always has been, and it always will be. Yes. Hmm. Beautiful topic. Beautiful. So I have some news to share before we close out here. I think I'm really close to being able to announce the for sure dates of the teacher trainings that I've been talking about with John Mundy. So uh, I'm going to uh, give you a heads up here of what I think we're going to be able to do. I'm hoping to finish the negotiations with the hotel. Um Say a prayer. (laughs) I I really just put it on the altar for a while. I said, okay, this seems to be really hard. Something else is going to transpire. I'm going to let it be. So we're looking at a hotel outside the city in um, New York State, um, in uh, the Hudson Valley area, uh, Nyack, New York, and... uh, I found a really beautiful hotel there, hoping to complete the negotiations. And what we're looking at is the 16th of August. We're going to begin three teaching events writing, speaking, and teaching. So uh, stay tuned. Three events, three retreats, back to back, so you can come to all three or come to two as you wish. So stay tuned. For the details at JenniferHadley.com Let's say a prayer here. So grateful and so thankful. And as I move into gratitude, so grateful and thankful for all the support of all the people who contribute to make this radio show possible. So grateful. And gratitude. We're sharing the benefits of our healing, our expansion, our walking the talk, our living the love with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Have a great rest of your week. I love you.